0: Palm Sunday and a little boy who always went to church was sick. He was so sick that he couldn't go to church so he had to stay home with his mom. Dad was going to go ahead and go to church. and Little boy was pretty disappointed. His father went on to church and when he returned home he was holding a palm branch. Little boy was curious and he asked why do you have that palm branch daddy? He says well you see when Jesus came into town Everyone waved palm branches to honor him. So we all got palm branches today. The little boy says, oh, shucks. He says, the one day Jesus shows up at church. And I missed it. (laughs) When I heard that story, I wondered why this little boy thought that Jesus had never showed up at their church before. You know, I'm sure he was thinking physically in a body. But Jesus was obviously at his church, I hope. (laughs) Was it that Jesus not been manifested in his church, or was it he just didn't have the eyes to see him yet? Either way, something was missing. And uh, we want to think about those people who were longing for Jesus, wanting to see Jesus with their own eyes on that Palm Sunday, the very first Palm Sunday. It's March 25th, Palm Sunday, 2018. We've arrived at Palm Sunday in a holy week leading up to Easter Sunday, a very big deal for us. How many times, I wonder, have we celebrated these holidays? How many times have we, have we uh, gone through this same pattern, Palm Sunday and Easter, Palm Sunday and Easter, and I start thinking, well, just about every year, haven't we? For many of us, it's been every year of our lives, and so I'm thinking 63 times I've done this, and you can just add your number of years to that, and uh, just think, are you... Are you Are you seeing in Palm Sunday and Easter the same magic that you saw when you were a child? Or have they kind of become a little bit more in the ho-hum category? Oh, here we go again. This is just another routine, another thing we do. We do it every year. It's like another holiday season, another thing to go through, another spring break, another time when kids are home from school. Maybe we get to take a trip. Maybe we just stare at each other, get mad at each other. I don't know what happens this week. And suddenly these two holidays are past, and then they're going to come back and cycle around again next year. If your experience is like mine, there's a very real possibility that these two holidays don't carry the same impact that they did at some point. And so you have to be very intentional about this. Too many of them have gone by, and you know, they say familiarity breeds contempt. Now, that might be a little bit strong way of putting it, and yet familiarity does cause indifference sometimes, and apathy, and we don't want that to happen. So I have an idea this morning. Let's try and take a fresh look at Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Let's try and take a new look at this very old holiday, and let's use this time to dig a little bit deeper into the story. And put ourselves into Jerusalem during Passover week. Let's imagine that you and I are in Jerusalem. We're residents of Jerusalem and all these other people have come to town for the holiday. Or maybe we're one of those visitors who came in from some village some miles away. And we have found a little place to stay. Maybe in the city or maybe in the outskirts of the city. We're sleeping in a tent at night. We want to be there for all the days of this holiday experience called Passover. Think about the different people that are involved in this story. Of course, there's the people, the crowd, people that assembled. You know, when Jesus started down into the city, all of a sudden multitudes started running to see this, to be part of this event. They are longing to see Jesus. Some of them have never seen him before, but they've heard a lot about him. And then there's the disciples, disciples who are right there with him day after day for three, three and a half years. And they're excited because, man, we've never had a crowd quite like this. We've seen a lot of people excited when Jesus came into the villages, town after town, but never have they done what they're doing today. Never is anybody like, suddenly there's this parade in Jesus' honor and be, on his behalf. And then there's the Jewish leaders that are in the mix. Some of them are sitting there with this, this kind of critical eye, you know, and they're, they're very upset with what's going on because they knew they needed to get rid of Jesus. they have known that for some time, and now this and they're not excited to see everyone else so excited about Jesus' approach. There's also the Romans. Romans are a little worried, you know? Things get a little bit funny on the holidays when everybody's crowding into town and a few extra 100,000 people around. Maybe we need to stop this before it goes much further so that we end up with a ride on our hands. Now, thinking about all these different people at Jesus' triumphal entry makes me wonder. How we would have reacted if we had actually been there put yourself there put yourself on the streets How's your imagination this morning? I hope it's in good shape I hope you can imagine yourself in jerusalem as jesus came into town Now step back from that scene for just a moment And i'll give you a little bit of a, a clue a little bit of a heads up of what I want to uh, Hopefully do with the message today And that is to think how would you normally react In a very public setting. You know when you're out there with everyone else. And and people are deciding what to do. How would you normally react if you were there? Are you your own person? Or do other people influence you too greatly? Are you your own person? You look at things carefully. And you decide what your course of action is. Regardless of anybody else. Or is public opinion very strong? Are you constantly thinking What are they going to think about me if I do this? You know, you're playing that game. What if I decided to stand over here? What's going to be their reaction? So you're constantly thinking of how everyone else is thinking about you. Are you led by someone greater than the people around you? Are you God's person? Or is peer pressure a problem for you? (laughs) Because you're really concerned what everyone else is doing, what everyone else is thinking. Jesus' triumphal entry didn't just happen. It was deliberate. Jesus knew it was going to happen before the crowds ever started gathering to welcome him into Jerusalem. So we're going to turn to Mark chapter 11 this morning, verse 1 through 11, telling us this story. Every gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John have this event in their gospel. It's so important. They tell different angles, different parts of the story. They add to the dimensions of this story. We're going to add a couple of those others from other sources but let's read Mark 11, 1 through 11 together right now. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, Why are you doing this? Tell him, The Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. He looked around at everything. But since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Apparently this parade took a little while. It lasted all day. Jesus coming. To Jerusalem was deliberate. Jesus coming to Jerusalem was planned. He had been working towards his final entrance into this city for several months. He was usually not someone to choose the spotlight, was he? Not someone to to put all the attention on himself. Although he was the son of God, Jesus was one of the most humble people who's ever lived here on earth. He even said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Even so, Jesus not only allowed the parade to form, he practically orchestrated it. He planned it. He knew it was time for his final entrance into Jerusalem. He knew it was all part of God's preordained plan. Zechariah and others had prophesied things about this moment. And Zechariah said this. He said, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem, see, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, that's a pretty specific prophecy. And Jesus said, we're going to do that today. This is part of God's plan. There's a reason that I'm going to ride the foal of a donkey rather than the white stallion. Because my kingship is different than maybe other people were picturing. The Jews knew about this prophecy. They knew about all the other prophecies regarding the appearance of God's Messiah. They longed for the Messiah, their deliverer, to come several times. In fact, in Jesus' ministry, people had tried to get him to become the kind of king they wanted him to become. One time, they even tried to force him to do that. It said they tried to make him king by force. You've got to do this. We're here behind you. We're here with you. Now, go do this they were saying. They wanted him to take charge. They wanted him to be this this warrior king, this image in their mind of someone who would drive these filthy Romans out of their city, out of their country, and give them a kingdom without end. But Jesus resisted all those efforts. He resisted because the time wasn't right, the ideal wasn't right, What they wanted in their Messiah was not the kind of Messiah he came to be. He was not building an earthly, temporal kingdom. He was building a heavenly, eternal kingdom. Well, as Jesus came down into Jerusalem from Bethany, he came in on then the east side of Jerusalem. And his disciples could see Jerusalem at two points on the road. So I want you to see kind of a map here this morning. You'll see Bethany out there on the right side, which is the east side, coming into the city. I don't know how well you can see where the city walls are, but it's pretty much where that dark spot is, right down through the middle. And the, the road meandered down the hill, so you see some curves there. And you see the Mount of Olives at the top, and you see perhaps the Garden of Gethsemane that they would actually pass beside, and then down into the Kidron Valley and back up into the city. There were two points in the road where they could see the city. The first of them, I'll show you this next slide. You see from a distance, this is a modern view, of course, there's all modern technology and everything here in front of it, but the road would make its way down into the city, and down and through the valley, and then back up into the city. And then as you go to the next slide, it's a little bit closer, and you see something It's a main feature here on the left, not the skyscrapers in the back that were not there in Jesus' day. Okay, just, just to be clear, this is a modern version of the same scene. What is this feature with the gold? The Dome of the Rock. Is that a Jewish place? No, it is uh, Islam that has built this way back in 600 A.D. They built the first one, they built another one a few hundred years later as they had to rebuild the thing. But this is the same exact site where the temple had stood. So in Jesus' day, as he approached the city, he would have seen the temple sticking up there on this little mount, the temple mount. And it was very prominent. There wouldn't have been all the other buildings in the background. It would have been the main feature. You know, kind of like going into D.C. and you see the Washington Monument sticking up there. Oh, wow. Everybody's looking at that. You can't get your eyes off of it hardly. And this Dome of the Rock, just so you know, built on the same site as the temple, uh, the Muslims uh, ended up taking over, of course, at one point. The temple had already been destroyed. And they decided to build this dome there, this Islamic uh, shrine there, to commemorate what they think happened there, and that is that Muhammad made a night journey to heaven from there, from this spot. This is a very sacred spot for them. Now, coincidentally, this is the very place where the temple had been, and if you could go inside the Dome of the Rock, you would discover there's footings still there, visible, where the Holy of Holies was. And you could even mark out the place. You would see a little marker there for where the Ark of the Covenant had sat. And so, to the Jews, this place has been defiled. How would they ever be able to build the temple there again? But they know uh, from their hopes that that temple will be rebuilt. Now, how God's going to do all that is anybody's guess. A lot of people speculate about that. This is also the very spot, just so you'll know, where the Jews believe that Abraham took his son Isaac when God said, go and sacrifice your son. And he took him up to this little mount called Mount Moriah there. And so this is a very sacred place for the Jews, but they're not allowed to go there anymore. Uh, in Jesus' day, it's the temple, a very grand temple built by King Herod, who was a great architect and poured a lot of money into it so that it would have a grandeur similar to what Solomon's temple was like. The average Jew was filled with pride when he looked down into the city and he saw the temple standing there, maybe from a vantage point up on the Mount of Olives. Perhaps it was at this vantage point as Jesus looking into the city that he stopped and his eyes filled with tears. And he said to the city, according to Luke 10, 42, if you, talking to the city, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. And in his vision of the future, Jesus could see what was going to happen in 70 A.D., that the Romans were going to come and, and come in and uh, uh, assault the city, tearing it down, tearing down the temple, and truly not leaving one stone upon another at that time. And many, many people lost their lives, men, women, and children. Jesus saw what was to happen there because they missed him, because they did not understand when he arrived. But on this day, Palm Sunday, we say, the crowds are beginning to get more and more excited as Jesus draws near the city word is spreading rapidly that he's coming into town many are asking could this be the Messiah that we've been longing for all these years and so this enthusiasm is infectious and everyone comes running to see Jesus from any vantage point they could find many took branches from the field to throw in the road before him so they could honor him others just said well I don't have a branch I'll just take off my coat throw it down there to show him I'm glad to see him coming I want to honor him But not everybody. The Pharisees were angered by what they saw. They had known for weeks that they would have have to get rid of him. But they had decided to wait until after the Passover. You don't want to create a, a, a riot here. We'll wait until we get past the holiday. Then we'll arrest him and we'll kill him. However, they had not anticipated this parade. And the public spectacle of Jesus riding into their town as if he owned the place. And they are angry. John's gospel tells us this, John 12, 17. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Remember, it's back in Bethany where he raised Lazarus from the dead just a few days ago, and Lazarus could have been with him. And they're all wanting to see both Jesus and Lazarus. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. So they're they're really angry. The timing of that day, the day it happened precisely when it happened was all Jesus' timing. He told his disciples, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And he knew that his time for his sacrificial death on Calvary was drawing near. He knew that in a few short days, every Jew would have a spotless lamb slaughtered on their behalf to cover their sins. And Jesus knew that on that same day, he was going to die. Precisely at the same time that many lambs were being put to death. As Jesus' triumphal entry continued, the people in the crowd started shouting exactly what the prophets had said hundreds of years before, They would say, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. This is exactly what they're saying, exactly what had been prophesied. And Hosanna, if you don't know, means please save us. Save us now. You know, Lord, we're looking for salvation here. And everyone is excited. In spite of the nervousness of the Roman troops guarding the city, Celebration of the Jews continued on into the city and right into the temple. You may be remembered in that map that the city and the temple were, were sharing a wall there. As they came in that eastern gate, they went right into the courts of the temple. And the Sadducees had a tradition in which they believed the Messiah would show up four days before Passover. So they made sure that every year, four days before the Passover, the gates were open And they could come right into the temple. They wanted to make sure that these gates were open so that their Messiah, their Deliverer, could walk right in to his rightful place. And that is the day Jesus chose to enter Jerusalem. He fulfilled their traditions, and still they didn't get it. They didn't recognize him. Everything in Jesus' ministry was coming to a head. The climax was about to be written into the pages of human history. Jesus was celebrated, glorified by almost the whole city of Jerusalem on that day. But how different things would be by week's end. In just five short days, the crowds would turn against him. In five days... The voices that had shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, would now say, Crucify him, crucify him, away with this man. How quickly the crowd had changed its tune. Don't you imagine that some of the very same people that were there at the Hosannas were there at the crucifies him? You know, the same people. Can't you imagine that there were people who believed in Jesus? People who loved Jesus, people that were so glad to see him come into the city, now had been turned by the mob mentality. Either to cry out, crucify with him, or to stand there silently, or or maybe to duck into a corner somewhere. Because they couldn't imagine what was happening, but they wouldn't stop it. They wouldn't say anything. How fickle is human public opinion? How foolish is the mentality of the mob? See what happened in the court of public opinion that week? Total reversal. So my question for us today is, do we trust the crowd? Do we trust the crowd to be right? Do we foolishly follow the crowd and what the crowd thinks? Be very careful doing that. Crowd is often wrong. Don't be so quick to put your lot in with everyone else because everyone else most other people do not know god do not know god's ways and when we follow them we won't be following god our kids like to say everybody else is doing it don't they your kids ever say that to you i know mine did my my grandkids are starting to say that now they're old enough to say that i remember saying that don't you Don't you remember when you were a teenager and you really wanted to do something that you knew your parents wouldn't approve, And they're kind of pushing back and saying, I don't know about that. So everybody else is doing it. We thought that would just convince them. But they had enough maturity to know that's not always the best idea. That's not always the right way. And my parents didn't buy that. I don't know about yours. My parents didn't give in when I said that peer pressure is very strong peer pressure is a force to be reckoned with let's let's be honest about this whether we're teens or adults children doesn't matter we care what other people think we care whether we fit in it's hard to stand alone so peer pressure does many things to us it makes us want to be on the in crowd you know cuz you know it's cooler to be on the in crowd it's cooler to be those that you know everybody loves and respects rather than the outside not fun to be the the one that's out there not part of that crowd peer pressure makes us want to not stick out <laughs> as different you know peculiar be be separate, and and everybody oh why do you think that everybody else is doing this what what's your problem peer pressure keeps people quiet under control even when bad things are happening peer pressure says don't speak up don't stand out don't Go against the flow. Just leave it alone. Even if you don't agree with it, just go off somewhere to yourself. Peer pressure keeps us from taking the risk of speaking up and standing for the truth when it's time to do that. And in the end, peer pressure makes us choose the group over choosing God. So as Christians, we know we've got to resist this. There, there is a battle going on. We've got to resist this, and we must overcome And we must stand for what is right. Proverbs 29, 25 says, Fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Paul said to Timothy, For the Spirit of God, the Spirit that God gave us, does not make us timid. Rather, it gives us power and love and self-discipline. 2 Timothy 1, 7. Now, I confess to you that as a teenager sometimes even as an adult i've caved into peer pressure haven't you you've been in that situation you know and things are just kind of developing not so great and you know it and and you're not really happy with this group's planning to do but you just don't want to stand out and so you go along with the crowd and later on you're beating yourself up like why did i do that i should have just left i Or I should have just stood up and said, hey, guys, this isn't the right thing to do. This isn't the best thing to do here. Why didn't I have the strength to do that? Somebody that I respected or admired or I wanted to like me was doing something wrong. There were too many times that I just said nothing or even went along with what they were doing. Have you been there? There have been other times, thankfully, that I've stood strong, that I've stood on God's word when the time had come to do so. And so I realized that this is a battle. This is a battle scene, a fight that is waged day after day. And it is demanded of us that we stand our ground. And this world is changing. This culture, this nation is changing to where it's going to become more and more important that we do that. Uh, Friday afternoon, Jane and I went to see uh, the new movie, I Can Only Imagine. How many of you have seen it so far? No spoilers. I'm not going to share anything about it. But I want you to know it's a great movie. Tells a story of Bart Millard and how he wrote that song about 20 years ago. I can only imagine and the impact that it's had on, on so many people. And that it was a story from his life. Very, very powerful thing. So we're very excited about going to the movie. We go to the 4 o'clock show. There's about 10 of us in the theater, you know. And we're thinking, okay, this is nice. We got our popcorn and our, our soft drink. We're ready to go. Just enjoy the show together and just, you know, be inspired. And it was inspiring. And we cried several times or whatever. Great, great movie, but first we had to endure the previews. You ever been there? You've been there lately. We don't go to the movie very often. We usually watch things on TV at home. And so it's been a while since we've been in the theater, and I was was shocked by the previews, really. Weren't you? I mean, raunch is the word that came to my mind. Just a lot of graphic stuff, a lot of negative stuff, a lot of ungodly stuff that was... Was put out on the movies as, as entertainment. One after another after another. Probably six previews. There wasn't a wholesome one in them. There, there wasn't any redeeming film in that. And there were stories that, that just show where our culture is. Uh, one of the movies, and I didn't even catch the name because I definitely didn't want to know any more about it, was a Jewish theme, this very separate Jewish community, godly couple, you know, trying to follow God in their way. And, and because they're separated community, you know, they're, they're isolated. And this other woman comes into the picture who is, yeah, I don't even know the story, but I guess she's had problems, and they let her move in with them. And it ends up being a love affair between the wife and this woman. You know, this is the movie. That's the movie. And it's like, just put in your face. and That's what I was feeling. This is our culture. And if we are not counterculture How is God's kingdom going to grow? How are people going to know what the truth is? How are we ever going to have the influence, the impact that we should as Christians if we just, just go along with the crowd and say, oh, it wasn't that wonderful? Or just ignore it and pretend like it's not happening. That's not an option for us. We are living in a culture that is diametrically opposed to God and to God's ways. It's not that we slipped a little bit. It's not that we got a little bit off course. We're in a culture that is opposed to God. And so the only option for us as Christians is to stand up and sometimes to speak out, but to speak in love. In Ephesians 6, we read these words from Paul. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord, in the power, and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand Against the devil's schemes. Take your stand. Just underline that. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. I love those words of encouragement for us from God's Word. Because that evil day has come. It's not the final evil day. It's not the end of time day. But we are in an evil day today. And the only option is for us to stand. To be strong in the Lord. To stand in the Lord. And in his mighty power. So I just want to encourage you. This morning on this holiday. To remember a few things. That we must stand our ground in the Lord's strength. And the army that armor that he has supplied us with. We must remember That our battle is not against people. It's not against the people that are in bondage to a different way of life, to the evil way of life. It's not against them. It's against the evil forces that are controlling them. So you're not fighting the person who is doing all the bad stuff. You're trying to teach them. You're trying to help them because they're in bondage. And the battle is with the evil forces that control them. We must be strong in the fight. We must fight with the two weapons that God has given us. The word of God, which is the the sword of the spirit. The word of God and prayer. And we must somehow strengthen and support each other. For we're in this fight together, aren't we? I hope I'm not alone. I think we're in this together. And I think we can stand strong together much better than we can... Individually. So don't go along with what the crowd's doing. Bad idea. Bad idea. Stand your ground, man or woman of God. Stand your ground, young person. Stand your ground in the strength of the Lord. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time in your word. I thank you for the the admonition, the encouragement. Maybe a rebuke that we've gotten from your word today. When we've just gone with the crowd and we've said nothing, done nothing. And so things continue to slide and slip. Lord, I pray that we would be strong in the Lord. That we would be men and women of courage. Men and women of conviction. Men and women who know the truth, because that truth will set us all free. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that Jesus Jesus didn't wait for the approval of everybody. He did what was right. He didn't wait to get everybody on his side. He didn't wait to please people. He lived to please you and you alone. May we do the same. May we be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might.